Well, there's a, a question that we often ask our kids. Uh, we, we tend to ask younger kids, at least. And that question is this, what do you want to be when you grow up? How many remember having to ask that question? I mean, they would ask your, your aunts and nephew, uncles would come to you and say, what do you want to be? And, and I remember answering this question a number of different ways. Uh, kind, kind of the standard answers are what? Like police officer, firefighter, president of the United States, maybe, maybe not, right? And it always changes, right? You ask them when they're five, and then you ask them when they're six, and, set, and it's always changing. They want to be something different. And there's something that happens about middle school where this question actually becomes a real answer. You know, they really begin to think about that, and, and for some people, they make that decision in middle school. Sometimes they're like, you know, 25 when they finally answer this, all right? But it, it's one of those things that eventually has to happen in us. I remember I was probably about sixth or seventh grade when, when I actually answered this question. And, th and the answer I came up with was I wanted to be a teacher. Now, it's, it's slightly changed just a little bit, right? But I'm still teaching, right? Just not in a school, just in a church. All right, and so that's kind of one of those moments in my lives where everything that I did from that moment out was greatly affected by that decision I had made. I mean, every, every choice was resulting in me wanting to teach people. And I don't know why I made that decision. Maybe it was because uh, all the other kids in school weren't getting stuff, and I enjoyed trying to show them how it worked, at least how I, my brain works, which isn't always the way, same way that other people's brains work. I find that out. All right, but, but it's one of those things that I really enjoyed doing. It was a crossroads for me. And these crossroads, they, they appear in our lives over and over again. There are moments in our lives where we have to make a decision, what am I going to do? Where am I going? And the choices that we make at these crossroads, while they seem insignificant in the moments, they greatly affect how we live the rest of our lives. All right, when you get done with high school, you enter a crossroads, right? Am I going to continue to go to school or am I going to go work? And if you choose to go on to school, you have to ask another question. Which school am I going to go to? Because that matters at times. Sometimes it doesn't, but sometimes it does. Uh, a lot of us, we face this crossroads when we finally meet that person that we really like. And we have to ask the question, do I want to marry them? And guys, we get, we get to ask the question to the girls, but the girls are in that crossroads moment. Do they say yes or do they say no? I, we, our lives are filled with crossroads. When we read the Bible, we see that the people of God oftentimes are faced with crossroads moments where God is standing there saying and asking a very simple question, do you love me? Do, will you follow me? And the choice that the people of God makes in those moments, it affects them for the rest of their lives. One such crossroads, one of the first ones that I read about when I read the Bible, comes in the book of Deuteronomy. Moses has been bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. They've been wandering the wilderness for 40 years. Throughout that time, the Israelites have been complaining to God, saying, God, why'd you bring us out? God, there's, we're hungry, we're thirsty, we need food and water. Why have you brought us here to die? And they're constantly telling God, God, we don't want you. 
And yet God has loved them every step of the way. And so Moses comes before the Israelites and he's giving his final address before he himself is going to die. And they're at a crossroads moment. They are about to enter the promised land. And so Moses, he says these words in, in verse 15 of Deuteronomy 30, I believe. It says, see, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. See, the Israelites, they, they were in this moment where they had to ask the question, who are we going to follow? And you would think after 40 years of wandering in the deserts as punishment for not following God, that they would finally say, yes, we want to follow God. But they had issues. Just a few uh, months before this moment where Moses is presenting to them this option, the Israelites had fallen into idolatry. There's a guy by the name of Balaam, and Balaam, he was a Midianite. He, was, uh, he had other gods that he worshipped, and he comes into the Israelite camp, and he convinces the Israelites to worship the Midianite gods, even though God had been so good to them and fed them and gave them water. They were still dealing with, with idolatry in their lives. And so Moses is looking at them. He says, you guys have to answer this question for yourself. Do you want life and prosperity, or do you want death and destruction? And when faith was those choices, which one would we choose? A life, right? It's the only logical option. How many of us would say, I want, I want to die? All right? How many of us would say, I want to be destroyed? None of us. And so when faced with this choice, it's easy. But Moses, he goes on to explain. In the next verse, he talks about this choice of life, and he says, I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience with him, and to keep his commands and decrees and laws. If you want to choose life, this is what you have to do. And it's not easy. It is not easy to make this choice where we live in this way. It's, it's, it's difficult. Moses says there's three things that you have to do if you're going to choose life. He says, first, you have to love God. Earlier in this same uh, presentation, all right, Moses says, this is what you are to do, Israel. You are to love the Lord your God with all that you are, with your heart, with your soul, with your mind. And then, so the question is this, if we're going to choose life, do we love God? And do we love God with all that we are and all aspects of who we are? Because that's a difficult question to answer at times. Does God like everything that we're doing? Because if we love God with all that we are, then every aspect of our life would be reflections of that love. So when you go home today, and in your behind closed doors and all your secrets are laid bare, the question is, is God happy with what's going on there? Is God applauding the way that you're speaking to your spouse or your kids? That's hard. 
Is God happy with the way that you live your life at work? When you're at the water cooler and the conversations that you're having with your coworkers, is God happy with that? Because if we are to love God with all that we are, this encompasses every aspect of our life. The second thing that he says here is that you're to walk in obedience and keep his commands. These are kind of one and the same. He's saying you're to keep everything. And too often in our lives, we want to pick and choose which commands we want to follow. Yeah, I like that one. I don't like that one, so I'm not going to follow it. And we have this list in our head of, okay, these are good. Yeah, I'm just going to just not ignore them, okay? But that's not what God says. He says if you're to love God, it means obeying all of it, not picking and choosing. See, our God, he either wants all of you or he wants none of you. And when we choose to pick and, and, and choose which ones we're going to follow, then we are missing the point. Our God wants more of you than Sunday morning. Really, the best way to, to envision how we are to love God is the way that we love our spouse. All right, so imagine that I went up to my wife, Emily, before we got engaged, and I said, Emily, I love you greatly, and I want to marry you. And I tell her there's some stipulations on this, okay? So I am going to promise to be with you all of one day a week. I, I might, you might get to see me here and there. You might get to see me on special holidays, right? All right, but one day a week, it's totally, and, and actually, really, it's just like three hours out of that day, all right, that, that I'm totally yours. You know, what, what would she say to that? No. Would I be married today? Probably not. That is how often we treat God. You know, and if we don't expect that to fly in our own relationships, why do we expect it to fly with God? See, God wants all of you. And so when we're asked this question, which are we going to choose, life or death, we say we want life, but we don't want to do everything that is involved in that. We don't want to love God with all we are. We don't want to obey the commands. We, we want to be good on one day a week, and that's it, and, and expect it to be okay with God. So, so that's Moses presenting this. He's saying, here's life. Now he turns to death in the next verse in 17 and 18. He says, uh, uh, but if your heart turns away and you're not obedient, and if you're drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will be destroyed. All right, so it's a very simple choice, right? Life and death, and here's what you do. If you want life, obey God and follow him. If you want death, do whatever you want. It's easy. I mean, which one is easier to, to do? The other one. So the Israelites are at this crossroads moment, and, and Moses says this in verse 19 to make sure that they understand it. They said, I call on heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you this choice, this life and death, this blessings and cursings. And Moses pleads with them, choose life that you may live. This choice that Moses gives 
is one that is going to affect the Israelites for the rest of their history. And, and we're not told here what their choice is, but we can look from, from Joshua onward and see how they live their life. And there's moments where they're choosing life and they're following God and they're loving him and they're doing all that he has decreed. And there's a lot of moments where they're not. And we see this choice of life and death reflect in their history and in their lives. This choice that Moses gives is one that echoes throughout history. God consistently sends prophets to the Israelites to remind them of this choice. Life and death, which one do you want? And God reminds them that though he has been a husband to Israel, Israel, you have played the harlot. You have turned away from me towards other gods. And it's a choice that I think we have today. Do we stand at a crossroads? And we have a choice that we need to make. Which are we going to choose, life or death? Are we going to choose to love God with all that we are, or are we going to choose to do things our own way? On the Sermon on the Mount, the very last thing that Jesus talks about, I think, is a reflection of these words that Moses gives. And Jesus is wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount essentially can be said to be this. You are to love God not just with who you are on the outside, but who you are on the inside. All right, and so that, that's kind of the, the summary of the Sermon on the Mount, that one sentence. And here's what Jesus says, starting in verse 13. I'm presenting it to the, the listeners there. He says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. See, I, th I think this is all Moses just repackaged, right? It's the same question. Which one are you going to go to? Life, Jesus says it, life or death. And Jesus talks about entering in the narrow gates or going through the wide gates. I mean, it's the same choice that Moses asked the Israelites 2,000 years before. And Jesus is asking it to his audience, which one are you going to follow? Which one are you going to enter? This idea of narrow and wide throughout history, they've kind of talked about maybe Jesus is saying it's difficult to enter. And I don't think that's what he's talking about. Rather, what he's talking about is how many people are going through it. See, the narrow gate is narrow because not a lot of people choose that road. Jesus is is talking about this upside-down kingdom that looks differently than the way the world lives. And not many people choose to go on the path that leads to life. Instead, far too many people choose to go the wide way because it's easy. It's not hard to go. Jesus 
is not saying that you have to live a certain, certain set of rules to get through there. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been breaking down that idea. All right? It's not about che- keeping a checklist and saying, I'm good. All right? That's not the point. The only way that we even have an option of a gate is because of Jesus. Jesus is the gate, he says later in John. So we have a choice because of Jesus. And it's hard to choose the narrow road. It's hard because there are so many people that are on the wide road that look back at you and they laugh at you. It's so much easier for us to follow the crowd, right? You remember your mom, at least my mom said this, I don't know if your mom did, but she used to say, well, if everyone else was jumping off a bridge, would you? And the reason she would ask that question is because the answer was yes, right? All right, if everyone else was jumping off a bridge, I would join them because it's cool. It's fun. The wide road is there because so many people go down it. And it's easier to follow them than to follow Jesus. So let's talk about this narrow road for just a moment. This narrow road, it's there not because we are good enough for it. It's there simply because Jesus is providing a way there. Jesus provides us with life. Paul says it this way in Romans 3.23. He says, all have sinned and they fall short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter how good you are. The only reason you get on the road is because of Jesus. You don't get on there because you're an awesome person. We all miss it. If it wasn't for Jesus, we couldn't even be on that narrow road. This sin that is in our lives, these mistakes that we have made, they are worthy of death. They are worthy of destruction. The reason why the wide road leads to destruction is because that's how your sins are. They lead you to death. And God recognized this. And he provided a solution. Paul says in Romans 5, 6, these words, you see, just at the right time, when we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. See, there was nothing we could do to get off the wide road, but God provided a way through Jesus dying on the cross. He died for us. The death that's at the end of the wide road, that is the death we deserved, and Jesus took that death on himself. And now, Paul says this in Romans 5, 9, says, since we've been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath? See, the reason why we have a narrow road to even choose from is by the grace of God. He has provided us a way to life. And it's through the death of Jesus on the cross. Without the cross, there is no choice. And so now we have this choice. Life or death. It's not easy to follow the narrow road, but when we look towards the end, what do we see? Life. 
See, far too often I think we look at our lives and we're so worried about the right here and right now that we're not looking far enough ahead into the future. See, if I think if we looked far enough ahead into the future and we look to the end of the roads, we're left with this choice that Moses asked so many years ago. Which do you want, life and prosperity or death and destruction? And if we look that far in advance, it makes the choice much easier, doesn't it? Because we want life. But when we're so narrow-minded and looking at what's right in front of us, we miss what is way there in the future. Jesus closes the Sermon on the Mount with one final analogy that I think is very appropriate here. He says this, starting verse 24, he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and yet it did not fall because it had a foundation that was on the rock. He continues and says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And then the rains came and the floods came and the crash of the house fell down because it had a bad foundation. Now, this seems kind of weird to us because we're like, yeah, of course, you don't build your house on sand without first building, pouring a foundation, right? All right, but in their area of the world, they don't really have four seasons like us. They kind of have like a dry season and a wet season. And when it's dry, the riverbeds, they dry completely up. And so if you were walking along and you're like, hey, that's a nice spot. There's a tree, the ground is good, and you build a house there, it might look good until it got to raining season. And then suddenly there'd be a river where your house was. All right, so this was kind of typical. It probably happened over and over again. And so what Jesus is saying to the people right here is this. You need to not look at what's right here and now. The wise person, the one that builds his house appropriately, he looks towards the future and he asks the question, when it rains, what's that going to be like? When it rains, is there going to be a river through my house? So you need to, in your life, not look at what's right in front of you. Because life is hard. Life is difficult. Bad things happen to all of us. And if we're worried about the bad things that are happening in our life right now, then we miss what's at the end. And if we can endure for just a moment and we can walk on the narrow road that's been provided us by Jesus, then at the end, there is life. And we need to not look at what's right in front of us, but rather make our choice based on how everything ends. And so you're left with a choice today. Are you going to choose life, or are you going to choose death? And as Moses said, I implore of you, choose life that you may live. We're going to enter into a time of response and here's what I want us to do. We, we, every week we take communion, and it reminds us of the sacrifice of Jesus. Uh, the bread represents his body. Uh, the juice represents the blood that was shed for our forgiveness. And so we're going to enter into a time of this, and, and before you come, I want you to really think about that question. Which am I going to choose, life or death?
Maybe in your life you've been walking along the wide road that leads to destruction, and you're still there, and, and you could ignore this question completely, or you can make the choice to change, to begin to walk on the narrow way. Maybe you started off on the narrow way and you've rounded back because it's a lot easier to stay on the wide path, isn't it? And maybe you've come back to the wide path, but you need to restart. If that's you, if you need to rededicate yourself or you need to choose Jesus for the first time, I'd invite you to come and to pray with me. I want to be in the back. I'd love to pray with you and talk to you about whatever you're going through. If you've already cho chosen life, if you've already accepted Christ and been baptized into him, then we invite you to come and to partake of communion. We're going to do it a little bit differently than what we normally do. We're going to have you take a piece of bread and dip it into the juice, all right, and then take it through that way. We're going to ask you to come through the center, all right, and then as you've taken, go out through the sides so that other people can come in and we don't have congestion there. If you're physically not able to come forward, uh, we're going to have a couple of guys who are going to come along the sides and, and give it to you that way as well. So let us pray, and let us make those choices that we need to make. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for Jesus and his resurrection. We're grateful for his death that provides us with a way of life. And Father God, we just ask, uh, as we consider ourselves, as we consider where we're at, as we look at the crossroads in our life, I just pray, God, that we seriously answer this question. Which do we choose, life or death? We thank you that we have life in you. And I pray that, that we can be obedient. We pr I pray that we can love you with all that we are. And I pray that we glorify your name and your name alone. Thank you, God, for the sacrifice that we deserve. Thank you for your body and your blood that we remember now. It's your name we pray.